and welcome to the Perspectives Podcast. I'm Shannon Sakosha, Chief Investment Officer at SBB Private, and I want to thank you for joining me today. On this podcast, we are going to discuss the dollar, where we go from here, and what are the implications for investing outside of the U.S. in this environment. With me to dig into this topic are Ivan Asensio, Head of FX Risk Advisory for Silicon Valley Bank, and Emmett McGuire, Head of Multi-Asset Research at SBB Private. Yvonne and Emmett, how about a brief introduction of your background and roles here at SVB Financial? Emmett, I'll start with you. Thanks, Shannon. I'd be, I'd be happy to give a brief introduction. So my role here at SVB focuses on the ongoing management evolution of the investment strategy that we use to build multi-asset class portfolios for private wealth clients. Essentially, which asset classes we choose to use and the decisions we make as an investment team on how to best position ourselves within those asset classes. Since the mid-2000s, I've had similar roles at large brand name firms, as well as more innovative boutique multi-family offices, all of which serve as part of the foundation for the investment advice we give today. Great. Thank you, Emmett. Yvonne, how about you? Uh, hi. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. Um, so I, I'm a part of the FX business. Uh, I'm responsible for working with our corporate and fund banking clients on managing FX risk. So that could uh, mean an organic solution that involve, does not involve derivatives all the way to uh, derivatives um, use, execution, and then all the value add around that. Um, you know, so that could be you know, assistance with the accounting presentation of a derivative, um, you know, optimizing you know, hedge tenor, basically whatever it takes to help our, our clients um, you know, achieve their their business objectives and take FX out of the equation. But uh, thanks for having me. Great to be here. Great. Well, thank you so much. Um, and thanks again to both of you for being here. Uh, let me set the stage a little bit in terms of the, the context of this conversation. Coming into 2022, we were clearly concerned about the inflationary pressure that existed both in the United States as well as in the rest of the global economy. We had seen significant central bank intervention, um, particularly since March of 2020, and that affected both the currency markets as well as the bond and equity markets. One of the things that we were not anticipating, perhaps, was that inflation would not peak early on in the year as we had anticipated. We were really looking for inflation to peak from the consumer perspective in the March-April timeframe, uh, with both the war in Ukraine as well as the continuation of zero uh, COVID policy in China. We we saw that inflationary scenario really push out into the point where perhaps we saw peak inflation in August, but it's a little too early to tell. As part of that, we have continued to see additional restrict restrictive central bank policy coming from the Fed, as well as other global central banks. And as a result, we've seen significant movement in the currency markets, which has implications not only for investing in local currency, but also investing for US dollar investors. And so I'm going to turn it over to my two colleagues here to talk a little bit about what we're seeing and what we should do about this changing environment for uh, the global currency market. Yvonne, if you don't mind, I'm going to start with you. Can you just provide our listeners with a summary of what's been happening this year in the currency markets broadly with that backdrop? 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, to start, you know, currencies are, are finally moving again, right? Um, you know, we went through a decade, basically, uh, after the global financial crisis, where, you know, currency volatilities were very muted. We had interest rate compression. We had very low levels of inflation, low level of volatility of inflation. Um, but all of that now, um, you know, has you know, sparked by, you know, the outbreak of inflation. Um, has brought a lot of uh, increased volatility in FX markets. We're looking at intraday ranges now of one to two percent, right? Wow. Before over that period, half a percent, you know, nine to ten percent over a given quarter. And over the last twelve months, you're, you're looking at 20, 25 percent movements in currency. So volatility is up, um, and then directionally, right? The story is a, a, a strong dollar, a much stronger dollar. A, a broad-based move in the dollar that's that's been quite imbalanced, actually. Um, I'd say the bull run in the dollar began uh, sometime around the start of 2021, but it's definitely accelerated over the last 12 months. A few factors have come together to propagate the rise in the dollar. First and foremost, you have higher interest rates, right? But it's not just the level of interest rates, it's the speed at which interest rates have risen. You'll recall that, you know, just 12 months ago, we were trading, you know, two-year yields in the U.S. were half a percent, right? Right. You look, you look, I look at my screen today and we're, we're you know, about four and a half. So that type of, of um, you know, I had, I had to look back, you know, 30, 40 years. We haven't seen a, a rise in interest rates, you know, that, um, that sharp and that dramatic. Um, for currency determination, right? So it's the level of interest rates, it's the speed at which they moved. But it's really the widening interest rate differential that, that truly matters. So this year, I mentioned the move in the dollar has been imbalanced. So the dollar has risen more versus um, you know, the currencies of, that governed by central banks that have had a tougher time raising interest rates. Uh, of course, you know, I'm talking about Europe. I'm talking about the UK, right, where there's still an inflation problem which would warrant higher interest rates, but the central banks that govern those currencies have a much tougher time raising uh, interest rates. We had an energy shock uh, in Europe, right, which has hurt households and, and, and economy and trade in the region. The UK, you know, has just dealt with, um, you know, a, 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 a fiscal and subsequent pension crisis, right? So very difficult environment to, to raise interest rates there. And then there are some, you know, countries that are nowhere near, you know, raising interest rates. And I'm talking about, you know, Japan, Switzerland, for instance. You know, just today we we breached the uh, 150 level in in the yen, um, where you know that's a level that it's interesting for a couple of reasons. We haven't seen that level, you know, since the early 90s, but it's particularly interesting because um, you know you mentioned intervention, um, you know, by central banks. Uh, you know, Bank of Japan actually intervened um, a couple of weeks ago to defend 146, and here we are at 150, right? So definitely um, a lot going on. The dollar is strongest against those currencies that it holds a sizable yield advantage over. Um, the other pillar of, of that's supporting the dollar strength is, is risk aversion, mm -hmm. right? So his, historically, you know, investors have flocked to the dollar um, and other safe haven assets. This year, however, the dollar reigns supreme as the, the premier, you know, flight to quality asset of choice, right? The, the yen, the Swiss franc, historically safe havens, gold, crypto have all disappointed, 
Um, so this year it's really been the dollar and, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's been a, an interesting year, uh, a lot going on, but it seems that, you know, you look around the world, um, the dollar is, is one of the only assets that's up on the year, actually. Well, it's so interesting that you, you point to this decade where we had very little uh, currency movement. If you think about, um, you know, CTAs, if you think about trend following strategies, the ability to invest in currency, you know, as an, as an investment opportunity, really that was taken off the table uh, for, you know, this decade prior to the pandemic. And then you just talk about the velocity of the changes and, and how, how much these movements intraday, uh, not only in the currency market, but we're seeing that across all capital markets, just the, the span of outcomes that we're dealing with on a day-to-day -day basis. So I, I think it's it's really interesting, I would say, to um, to sort of look at the currency markets with this different light. Um, but I think it also creates some challenges in you know managing balance sheets, but also in managing you know effectively um, investments. Absolutely. Yep. Definitely. So I'm going to switch uh, switch gears a little bit, Emmett. One of the things that coming into this year, we were actually very optimistic about the opportunities in international developed equities. And given that um, incredible backdrop that Yvonne just provided, you know, how has our view changed and, and how much does the dollar impact our view? Yeah, I mean, I think Yvonne did a great job of touching on some of the near-term and recent developments in markets that have really affected how, how we think about those international developed equities. So putting a little bit of a different spin on it, if you look back to the late 70s, early 80s, where you see the U.S. dollar kind of skyrocket straight upwards relative to other uh, excuse me, currencies, we also had a high inflation environment where the Fed was aggressively raising rates to, to combat that inflation. International equities suffered majorly in that time period. And they tend to do so in these environments, kind of throughout history, as far back as we have data for. So given that, we've we've taken steps to kind of tear back our, our international equity exposure, neutralize our weights towards uh, the MSCI equity index from a global equity perspective, and really just acknowledge that the world changed this year, right? So the future is always uncertain, but I think the level of uncertainty out there, particularly in equity markets, is, is definitely heightened uh, going into the end of the year here. So we've neutralized our stance, and I think that's the prudent move in portfolio today. And how does you know how does that differ for emerging markets? We think about um, current account balances, and we think about the amount of dollar-denominated debt in the emerging market space. Uh, and and you know if you look at that from a equity perspective. We've seen historically uh, wide swings in the performance of emerging markets, depending on different environments. So, you know, how are we looking at that as we go into next year, uh, putting aside some of the considerations about uh, weaker production than anticipated in China? Uh, is there kind of a structural challenge for emerging markets that's slightly different than international developed? Yeah, it's a great question. And it, and it kind of varies country by country. So theoretically, you'd think that the countries who are exporters would benefit from, from this scenario, where the dollar buys more of their goods. But if you look back through history, kind of a mixed bag. Um, and the EM index hasn't been around as long as the international developed equity indices. Uh, but really, there's only one full period to look at. 
in the spring of 2008 through year end 2016, uh, where EN kind of it treaded water, right? And on a relative basis to developed international equities and U.S. equities, trailed a, a bit, not significantly. We're, we're currently living through the second data point, and 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 EME is definitely behind U.S. equities by about a handful of percentage points. So it's it's hard to say, but we're taking the same stance, right? So we're going to neutralize our exposure relative to MSCI equities with emerging market equities because it does happen to be a country by country phenomenon. But we do partner with asset managers in that particular part of the world which we think they can take advantage of not only company selection, but also country selection and positioning themselves to outperform on a forward-looking basis. Great. I think that's incredibly helpful. And, and one of the one of the comments that I continue to hear, not only from the managers that we partner with, but from our clients, is that you know, just as uh, developed economies are not all the same, uh, the opportunities, prospects, and risk for different countries in emerging markets is perhaps even more divergent as they have uh, a, a, a wide variety of constraints in terms of are they importers of uh, commodities or are they, uh, what is the strength of, of their domestic economy? What is the strength of their current account? And so I think that it becomes incredibly more important in this space to be able to select not only the country, but also the underlying companies that have some insulation versus these more macroeconomic concerns. Yvonne, we, you touched on this um, a couple of minutes ago, but I, I think, you know, with this increased uh, volatility, if you will, in currency, how are you looking at managing currency risk for clients? And I would say perhaps it's become a bit more challenging, but also potentially an opportunity for us to create a lot of value for clients in this environment. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and it varies for us by type of client. Um, so there, there's basically three stratas that um, that I can talk about. So we, we cover you know tech and life science companies, uh, many of whom by a margin of, of three to one actually, so it's a wide margin, that are not yet generating significant revenues overseas, which means that foreign operations have to be funded with dollars, raising dollars, dollars go out to fund the operations. And you, you mentioned opportunity. Um, yeah, a strong dollar actually creates a tailwind um, for these companies as dollars are sold for more euros, more pounds, more pesos. Um, and then, you know, this is extending runways. This is minimizing burn at a time, right, where, you know, the industry is faced with, with tougher, uh, tougher fundraising environment, which is, you know, so it, it's, it's a tailwind. Uh, many of these clients have looked to us, you know, for hedging uh, solutions as a way to monetize these gains and position for, for the next round of funding. Now, on the flip side, we do have a, a strata of clients, which is our, in our corporate banking division, mm -hmm. which is made up of later stage public companies, where in fact, there are established overseas revenues. Um, and so a stronger dollar does present a, a headwind um, as uh, revenues and profits are translated back to dollars or repatriated back to dollars. They're, they're worth less in dollar terms. Uh, now, in the past, so you know, pre pre COVID times, um, you know, these higher growth companies that that we bank uh, were a were able to absorb some degree of of um, depreciation in their currencies 
because you know you have high growth, right? So you take an right. enterprise software company, right? That's if you're growing at 100%, right? And you know FX vol is 10%, then you know it's that that that's a little easier to absorb, okay? Um, but we are in a new environment, uh, right? There's there's more focus on unit economics, more focus on you know reigning in cost. And so we're seeing a lot of these clients come in and, and you know, seek assistance in, um, you know, with putting in on hedging strategies to protect their, their, their business uh, results and, and fundamentals. And then finally, the last strata, which is extremely important, and it overlaps uh, a lot, you know, um, with, with um, the space that, that you guys uh, talked to in the investment space, which is, you know, we bank the investors, the venture and private equity funds right. who are invested overseas and are facing material impact uh, to their investment returns in dollars. Um, of course, we can't paint them all with the same brush, right? You've got venture funds that, you know, generally don't focus on hedging too much, right? Because when you're in venture, your exit is unknown, your, you know, whether the investment will, will pay off or not, that's unknown. So it's not, um, hedging is not big in that space. But then when we get to the private equity space, especially credit funds, where visibility of cash flows is better, then, then obviously hedging um, is an important element um, of, of the strategy. Um, there's some very interesting dynamics at play uh, right now in this environment. So, so number one, because U.S. interest rates has, have increased versus rates in you know, Europe, rates, rates in Japan, then the, the carry right, is favorable to sell euro, sell yen, and back by dollars. Right. In fact, so, so to be clear, you may not love the level of the yen, but you get 4 or 5% of that back because selling yen forward generates a, a, an additional boost uh, from the carry. Mm -hmm. Number two, we've seen quite a, uh, a sharp rise in, in looking at options as, as a way to get some flexibility, right? So when you're down 10, 20% on currency, locking into forwards, Right can be a very tough value proposition, so we're seeing more, um, you know, interest in activity um, around options use to to be able to protect, uh, you know, future cash flows. Uh, but basically, bottom line, right, uh, with regard to currency in in the investment space, is that you know our clients tell us that currencies at the end of the day don't determine hedging decisions, right? In fact, you know. Um, significant investment over the years has gone into India, for example. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you, you go to India because India has twice as many internet users than we have people. You don't, you don't go there because you expect that strong inflows are going to subsequently turn into a rise in the rupee. In fact, right. you know, you could, you could love an investment there, but you're not going to love the rupee. And in fact, you know, the currency is a completely different uh, animal value proposition. And you you asked the question about emerging markets in general. Um, you know, if if the time horizon that we're talking about here is a three to five six year holding period, currencies uh, or or countries that have higher persistent inflation, right? Just not not including the current bout, but I'm talking you know Brazil's, I'm talking India, Mexico, Turkey, South Africa, you know Indonesia, and so on. You should expect currencies to weaken over this longer period of time. Ultimately, right, higher persistent inflation is, is going to uh, hurt the value, the relative value of a currency. Um, you know, and, and I think our, our investors 
they appreciate the fact that, right, you don't have to love a, a currency to love the investment prospects in a particular country. That's a great point. And, and one that I think when we think about inflation, uh, we're grappling with perhaps the, 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 you know, the first bout of inflation for the developed economies uh, since the 70s, but emerging markets have certainly been dealing with their fair share of inflation for this entire period. That's um, right. So that's a great segue, Emmett. You know, one of the things that we've been hearing a lot more about is the suggestion that we should be investing in hedged currency strategies. And, and how do we respond to that, especially given um, some of the comments that, that Ivan has shared? Yeah, it's an absolutely valid question. And there's a variety of ways to frame someone's thinking around this particular topic, but I'll focus on two major points. The first one is, it's really quite difficult in practice to hedge out 100% of someone's currency exposure in a multi-asset class portfolio. Mm-hmm. Just think about companies alone or equity exposure alone. These, these companies increasingly compete in that global marketplace where their revenues are exposed to multiple currencies outside of the one they may be domiciled in. Second, over the long term, it tends to even out. Right? So if you think about an asset class like international developed equities, that tends to get hurt by a rising dollar. It also benefits when the dollar struggles. And these things tend to play out over time in cycles, like a lot of things in markets do. So it's really one of the bigger reasons why we leverage multiple asset classes when we're building a portfolio for a client. That's just to increase their odds of success with achieving whatever the goal is that they have for their personal wealth, but also to smooth the ride to that end destination. Great. Um, Yvonne, we just have a, a couple minutes left here. And so I'd love for you to just briefly uh, grab your crystal ball. Uh, and I know <laughs> I'm asked to do this all the time, so I'm going to put yes. you on the spot to do the same. Um, 2023, what's your outlook for some of the major currencies that you've mentioned on this call today? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, consensus, right, says that the uh, dollar should should weaken back up in, in 2023 or, you know, give up some of the gains that we've seen mm-hmm. over the last 12, 18 months. Um, we discourage our clients from, you know, managing risk according to consensus. Um, you know, but by the way, what do you think consensus said at the end of 2021, about 2022, before... Right. Right, the dollar should 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 weaken. So yeah, for, you know, consensus, yeah, definitely very um, uh, very difficult, um, you know, to forecast what's what's happening. We do know a few things, however, right, that a, a recovery next year of stock markets and risk appetite should, at a minimum, slow down the pace of dollar appreciation. Right. So one of the pillars of dollar strength that I talked about. The other pillar, obviously, is is rate hikes. Right and and uh, and and you know the pushing up of of yields, so reaching a terminal Fed funds rate should also slow down um, the dollar and the rise in the dollar. At that point, however, we're not going to be focused on well, what is the aftermath from all the central bank activity? Um, you know, did we in fact engineer a successful soft landing or? Um, you know, do we have a, a hard landing and potential global recession um, in, in our hands? So I think that we will start to focus then on growth, employment, um, you know, and then currency determination, you know, we'll go back to, you know, 2023 is, is the year of the fundamentals. So I think we'll go back to looking at, you know, things like, you know, trade and current account deficits, 
over-dependence on, you know, importing commodities as opposed to exporting commodities, right, to the extent that, um, you know, there could be, you know, still some commodity price pressures, um, you know, and then and then budget deficits, right, that's in vogue. Yeah, exactly. The situation that, you know, occurred in the UK, right, is that sort of a foreshadowing about something that, you know, a, a way that, that U.S. debt can be perceived here in the U.S., right? Uh, so potentially that could be the case. And, and yeah, so I think, you know, on the margin, I think that, you know, the dollar should give up some of those gains, right? But whether it's going to be anchored by, again, that good news, that risk appetite is back, right? Which would be, you know, um, a, a reversal of what we saw this year, or will it be focused on, you know, deteriorating, you know, uh, you know, fiscal budget, um, you know, and current account uh, deficits uh, for, you know, looking at now focused on the U.S., uh, it remains to be seen. Thank you so much. Uh, and thank you to both uh, Emmett and Yvonne for joining me today. And thanks you to all of you for listening in. We'll keep digging into topics that impact your financial future. So tweet me at Shannon Sakosha if there's something you'd like us to cover in a future podcast. You can also read our latest perspectives on the markets, the economy, financial planning, and perhaps where we go from here by visiting the link on this podcast page. Be sure to subscribe to SVB Private Perspectives on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you prefer to listen. And I look forward to coming to you again next month. Thank you. The material contained in this podcast or webinar is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be an offer, recommendation, or solicitation to purchase or sell any security or product or to employ a specific investment strategy. SVB Financial Group, SVB, does not represent, warrant, or guarantee that this material is accurate, complete, or suitable for any purpose or any investor, and it should not be used as a basis for investment decisions. It is not to be relied upon or used in substitution for the exercise of independent judgment. This material does not provide individually tailored investment advice. It has been prepared without regard to individual financial circumstances and objectives. The views expressed in this podcast or webinar are solely those of the authors and or participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of SVB or any of its affiliates. Opinions where and when expressed are subject to change without notice. Information was obtained from sources considered reliable, but no representation is made as to its accuracy. SVB, its affiliates, employees, SVB Wealth LLC Investment Advisor Representatives, and SVB Investment Services, Inc. Registered Representatives do not provide, and nothing contained herein should be construed as, legal, tax, or accounting advice. Prior to making any investment or financial decisions, an investor should consult their own legal and or tax advisors for individualized advice that takes into account all of the particular facts and circumstances of an investor's own situation. Investing involves risk, including the potential loss of money invested. Past performance does not guarantee future results. Asset allocation and diversification do not guarantee a profit or protect against loss. The term SVB Private is the marketing brand name for the private banking, lending, brokerage, and wealth management and investment advisory services offered by the following SVB subsidiaries and affiliates. Silicon Valley Bank, SVB Investment Services, Inc., and SVB Wealth, LLC.
Each legal entity in SVB Financial Group is subject to distinct regulatory requirements, and certain products and services may not be available in all jurisdictions or to all client types. Banking, lending, and trust products or services are offered by Silicon Valley Bank, a California bank with trust powers. Silicon Valley Bank is a member of the FDIC and of the Federal Reserve System. Silicon Valley Bank is the California Bank subsidiary of SVB Financial Group, NASDAQ SIVB, SVB Wealth LLC, SVBW, and SVB Investment Services, Inc., SVBIS, are wholly owned non-bank subsidiaries of Silicon Valley Bank. Neither SVBW nor SVBIS is a chartered bank, trust company, or depository institution. Wealth management and investment advisory services are offered through SVBW, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Detailed information on the services offered through SVBW is contained in the SVBW Form ADV brochure, which can be obtained at advisorinfo.sec.gov or from your SVBW investment advisor representative. Brokerage products and services are offered through SVBIS, a registered broker-dealer, member FINRA, and SIPC. For more information on SVBIS, please visit FINRA's BrokerCheck website at brokercheck.finra.org or contact your SVB Wealth Investment Advisor representative. There are important differences between brokerage and investment advisory services, including the type of advice and assistance provided, the fees charged, and the rights and obligations of the parties. For more information about these services and their differences, speak with your SVBW Investment Advisor representative. Not all products and services are offered by all investment advisor representatives of SVBW or registered representatives of SVBIS. And not all investment advisor representatives of SVBW are registered representatives of SVBIS. Wealth management and investment advisory services offered by SVBW and brokerage products and services offered by SVBIS are not FDIC insured, not insured by any federal government agency, not bank guaranteed, not a bank deposit, and may lose value. All loans provided by Silicon Valley Bank are subject to underwriting, credit, and collateral approval. Financing availability may vary by state. Restrictions may apply. All information contained herein is for informational purposes only, and no guarantee is expressed or implied. Rates, terms, programs, and underwriting policies are subject to change without notice. This is not a commitment to lend. Terms and conditions apply. NMLSR ID 442029, Equal Housing Lender. Copyright 2022 SVB Financial Group. All rights reserved. SVB Financial Group, SVB, is the holding company for all business units and groups. SVB, SVB Financial Group, Silicon Valley Bank, and the Chevron Device are trademarks of SVB Financial Group, used under license.